Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and I am so excited that you are here. So today's episode is actually part of our live uh, podcast launch that we had this weekend at the Outspoken Summit uh, brought to you by Feisty Media and Shift Sports. It was such an amazing weekend, just so many really just cool women doing amazing things with big audacious plans and goals. And I was lucky enough to get to kick off the summit on Saturday morning with a panel discussion all around getting past imposter syndrome, getting rid of that negative voice inside of your head, or actually, as we kind of got into later, uh, learning to live with it and almost using it to kind of show us what we needed to work on. So uh, a little bit about the panel before we just get right into the live broadcast of it. Uh, So put your hand up if a little voice in your head has ever told you that building your business was impossible. Uh, Yep, uh, us too. Uh, So the bad news is that whether you're just getting started in your business or you run an entire empire, imposter syndrome is going to slow you down and keep you from hitting your biggest goals, or at least it can. And it's not just you. Everyone has that little voice, and women tend to hear it in friggin' stereo. However, there is good news. Today, in this episode, we are going to exercise those demons and kick off Outspoken by talking all about imposter syndrome and the importance of choosing self-belief over self-doubt with some of the most decorated, badass, accomplished women in the biz. So... I am a longtime sports journalist, author, and podcaster, and in the beginning, I actually start by sharing my sort of new understanding of imposter syndrome. Before I got on the panel, I actually hadn't really given it much thought, or at least I hadn't thought that I thought about it. It turns out I did quite a bit, uh, which I get into in a second, but I was joined by Feisty's CEO, Dr. Sarah Gross, USA Triathlon's Megan Rich, Unbound's Christy Moan, and Shift Sports' Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold. And we talked about their past struggles with imposter syndrome, their current struggles, and their best tactical tips for knocking self-doubt the hell out of your brain. All right, let's get into it. Enjoy this discussion with these four amazing women. This is so exciting. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, This is like a little terrifying speaking uh, in front of so many people like in real life again, even though, you know, when you do a podcast, yes, like hundreds and hopefully thousands of people are listening, but like you don't see them and you can't really see their faces. So you just kind of pretend you're just talking into your computer screen and it's fine. Uh, This is a totally different thing. Uh, So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And if you're if you're watching live. Thank you so much for for watching live Uh, the the business of fitness. podcast is sort of born out of this basically me annoying the crap out of my co-host on my my other podcast so I run the consummate athlete podcast and have for six years and we talk about endurance sports and we kept having awesome coaches and experts on and they'd be talking and I'd be like yes but tell me about what accounting software you use for your business and my husband who's my co-host is like please stop asking them about this stuff this is not relevant to like improving your VO2 max or like running a marathon. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to start my own podcast. And luckily the, the feisty crew was kind enough to give me a forum to do that. And I think like, this is kind of the, the perfect place to launch it somewhere where all of us are kind of trying to figure out how we can, uh, you know, either get into the business of fitness or kind of just keep making, making our way in this business. So uh, imposter syndrome. So when, when Catherine, came up with or kind of like floated the idea of doing this first talk on overcoming the negative voices in our head and specifically overcoming imposter syndrome, I thought, 
well, who am I to give this talk on imposter syndrome? <laughs> and then I was like, oh no. <laughs> Turns out, um, <laughs> so I actually genuinely didn't think that I had an issue with imposter syndrome. Like it didn't really occur to me and I kept like skipping podcasts that would talk about it. I'd be like, that's not for me. This is, I'm fine. I'm not an imposter. This is great. Everything's fine. Uh, which we all know means I probably needed to listen to those the most. Um, and I realized it, uh, I was at the, the Big Sugar Gravel Race the other week and people kept coming up and you know, you're kind of doing like the, oh, what do you do? And I would say, oh, I, I write for Bicycling Magazine, which is true, I do, but I've also had my own podcast for six years. I've written nine books, but the podcast isn't on the top of the charts. The books aren't bestsellers. So Bicycling is a big magazine. People know the name of it. But, you know, I'm not sure that someone's going to know the Consummate Athlete podcast or the Business of Fitness podcast, so I don't say it. And then I started realizing, I was like, oh, if I never tell anyone the thing that I'm doing, how do I expect, like, a buzz to start? Like, if I'm not creating, like, the buzz around the water cooler, but, like, oh, you haven't heard of my podcast? I mean, I'm shocked everyone's heard of my podcast. Uh, so my, my goal this weekend is to, to create my own buzz. So if you're talking to me and say, what do you do? And I say, I write for Bicycling Magazine, just like turn and walk away. Just like, just ignore it. <laughs> like, absolutely not. Um, and actually, so last night I was thinking about this even more as I was hearing a lot of people chat. I was talking to people and, you know, the, the what do you do kept coming up. You'd say like, oh, what do you do? And for a lot of women, I was hearing them say, oh, well, what I do in real life or what I do to make money, X, Y, Z. And then, and, and I have this like coaching business on the side or like I have this. So I'm going to like issue a challenge here before we get started with this panel is this weekend when someone says, what do you do? Let's all lean into like the reason we're here. Let's say like I run, you know, I have a yoga studio. I'm doing this thing on, you know, I'm doing this thing on Zoom. I've started this website. Like let's really like own that instead of kind of, putting it as this thing that we do on the side. So that is my like imposter syndrome challenge for, for everybody. Uh, and I'm totally gonna force some group work on this group uh, towards the end of this. <laughs> um, but before I do that, um, we're, we're gonna have our lovely panel here. So we have four amazing accomplished women and we thought we'd kick it off with this panel because we have these amazing accomplished women right here. And uh, I'm, I'm going to bet, because you agreed to be on this panel, that uh, we all have and still deal with imposter syndrome today. So we wanted to start this way because it is kind of sharing this, like, at no point are we ever going to be, like, completely free of this. Like, hopefully we get to a point where we can kind of work around our imposter syndrome, but it's, it's probably going to chase us a little bit. Um, and we can find the tools that are going to help us get around it and, you know, work with it and let it actually, like, make us better. But, you know, whether you're just getting started or you've been in this for 20 years, it's still there. So don't panic if you have it. <laughs> so um, I think I actually want everyone to introduce themselves on this panel because that's that's sort of part and parcel with this whole imposter syndrome thing. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Sarah, I'm actually going to kick it back to you to get started. So I want you to just like introduce yourself when someone says, what do you do? How do you introduce yourself? Uh, and then give us give us a memory like where imposter syndrome has like played a role in your life. You don't even have to get into the how you've gotten past it. We'll get to that. But just like where does it come up for you? 
Okay. Well, it comes up everywhere, <laughs> but I'll give a better answer than that. Um, okay. So uh, I am Sarah. I think I met most of you last night. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Feisty Media, uh, and we are now launching our 10th podcast. Uh, but we definitely, we started because I, you know, it, in, when I was a professional triathlete, we tried to get equal slots for the pro women um, in Kona. I see a 50 women in Kona shirt over there. Yay. And the powers that be at Ironman um, told us, no, we couldn't have that. Uh, and then I started to think, okay, how can we make a difference? And one of the things, one of the ways I really wanted to make a difference was to actually change the culture of around sport and sort of like, which is a crazy weird goal like how do you change a culture um i remember celine laughing about that she's like i never understood how we change a culture right and like how do we um so really it just for us it's become about telling stories um and ed and educating ourselves and and others through the programs that we run about our bodies and um about how to run businesses in the endurance space for example um so that is me uh i think and I will, oh, imposter syndrome. I was actually thinking about how uh, I had a, mo a moment of big imposter syndrome right here in Tempe when Lisa and I were, it was, we had already run the event one year and we were being toured, toured around by the people from Tempe Tourism and they were showing us all these big grand venues that we could have our event in that were like way out of our budget and like <laughs> too, way too big for it. It's like, and, and at one time I was thinking, oh, well imagine if we could pack out this huge theater with our event. And, but, the, but there was part of me as we were doing this tour that was like, oh, we're just this like tiny little company. We're only getting started. We don't have much budget. So I remember feeling that like walking through the streets of Tempe. Um, so it's really fun to like still be here five years later doing the event and realize, yeah, we weren't imposters then or now. I'm up. I'm up. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Shauna Payne Gold. I go by she, her, hers pronouns. Really nice to be with y'all in this panel. That's amazing um, that I was reading about uh, before getting here. Isn't that part of imposter syndrome? It's like you need to know who you're on the stage with. So, you know, like you're the weakest link and you're OK with it. That's where I was. Right. Just looking at the bios. Um, but for me, um, I am uh, the founder and CEO of Gold Enterprises, which focuses on diversity, equity and inclusion consulting work, uh, not just the drop in, do a workshop and leave type of thing, but more so the overhaul audit assessments, um, equity assessments, you name it, from start to finish in regards to organizations that are really striving to be more inclusive and, and equitable. And then, of course, uh, our venture that we just uh, announced last night with Shift Sports that does the very same thing, but with the athletic and endurance sport community. And so given that, for me, I think it's interesting that uh, with what I do, I love when people call themselves multi-hyphenates, like they got a bunch of hyphens between what they do. That That's kind of where I am with it, is that I'm a multi-hyphenate person. I like to do a lot of different things. Um, I came out of academia. Um, and so if you can imagine, uh, imposter syndrome is everywhere. You know, it, when when you are one person or less than one person of every single uh, community, group, organization that you're a part of, then imposter syndrome is just kind of like you're buddy that's with you all the time type thing, right? So um, as an academic, I was, you know, yes, I was in education, which is overwhelmingly uh, people of color and female. But when you're the only that's the tenured faculty member in your department, or the, you're the only that's an administrator on a certain level, and then you're the only to do something else, 
that's when imposter syndrome is just woven into the fabric of your entire life. And so given that, you know, it's for me, that's when it gets interesting because when I translate it to endurance sport and I show up to events that have two, three, four thousand people there. And if I'm still able to count the number of people who look like me, then we still have some work to do. And I still feel like an imposter because it's like, oh, my God, I'm one of seven. I got to finish. I got to, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so given that, you know, just knowing that it's a constant companion and trying to figure out, how, look, we're going to be friends. OK, we, we, we need to be friends. Um, how are we going to cope well together? So that's what I, I deal with on a regular basis. Oh, so good. Awesome. Thank you. I, as part of imposter syndrome, hate introducing myself. So I'm going to really lean into it. Um, I'm Megan Rich. I'm with USA Triathlon. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I do diversity, equity, inclusion, and access for USA Triathlon. Um, but I'm also on the Women's Commission for America's Triathlon. And I am on the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Commission for World Triathlon. Um, it's I never say it out loud, but it's like really cool that I get to do that um, and and advocate for a sport culture and a change in sport culture. Um, I've been with USA Triathlon for 11 years and I actually started as an intern. And that's, I think, one of the most like imposter syndrome moments I had. I came from the golf industry. I was a professional golfer for two years. And then I just like on a whim when I was in grad school, decided to apply for this internship at USA Triathlon. And I ended up getting it. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like three people had to turn them down. Like there is no way that I got this internship. Like I was the first person that they selected. And so even when I got to Colorado Springs and like went to the office, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're being really nice. Cause they know that like I was their third choice. And like without me, they wouldn't have an intern. Um, so it's taken me many years. I mean, I've been there for 11 years, so it's taken me many years, but like, I think I did. I was actually the one they picked. So, um, a decade later, I'm so comfortable there, but yeah, really super excited to share some more stuff with everyone. I'm Christy Moan. And I literally was like thinking 50, 50 shot first to talk or last. I was hoping this was first because I did not want to go after all of these people. Um, I'm with um, Lifetime on the athletic event side um, and in embracing the uh, imposter, like I totally feel like an imposter right now. This is like so nerve wracking, but um, I work hard on off-road events. Um, Unbound Gravel is, is probably my baby. Um, well, not probably. Unbound Gravel is my baby. Um, and also got really involved with the 200 women, 200 miles campaign, which Celine Yeager took part in. And like, there's just so many things that, that I feel like I've been able to do um, just because of my role in the gravel event space. Um, and I've worked with really amazing people, two of which are also in this room, Michelle Duffy, Amy Ross on putting Big Sugar on, which happened just a couple weeks ago and was another big successful event. And um, just trying to find um, where my voice is in all of this space has been um, a challenge and an honor both. Um, when I think about imposter syndromes for me, where they creeped in, the one that really stands out, because Molly sent these questions out early, and if you know me, I don't like reading questions early because I get in my head and start answering them and thinking about them and like, you know, marinating on it and like really blowing everything up, um, which is the overthinker that I truly am. I think that's also part of imposter syndrome. Um, but the one that really stands out to me, and this is going to, I think, probably strike a lot of you, uh, was when I had my children. I had twins, um, Mason and Sydney. They're now 25 years old. And I was sitting 
um, laying with Sydney on the couch one day and she was crying. And I was like, I called my mom and I was like, I don't know how to be a mom. I felt like an imposter just being a mother. And it just was so interesting, like working through that. My mom's like, you've got this, you've got it, you're fine. And it was one of those moments for me where I was like, how am I supposed to do this? I think that's really kind of the basis of what so much of imposter syndrome is, is like stepping into a space and being like, how am I supposed to do this? And trusting the process and like working through it and getting through it. So that's, that's one for me that's not necessarily industry related, but was a moment that was really a big one for me and that I draw on a lot. Well, as someone who has to call her mother-in-law and to keep her plants alive, I can't totally relate to that, but I, I feel, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, mine would be. Thankfully, I have a lovely mother-in-law with a green thumb. So actually, Christy, I am going to kick it kind of right back to you because, uh, I mean, Unbound, it started as this small race that you were doing with some friends back when it started, like this little gravel event. And now it is the gravel event like yeah 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 world championships happen in italy but like let's be real they happen in emporia kansas in june like that's that's the real gravel worlds to me so how how did it feel when the race started kind of just growing and growing and growing was there a point where you were like oh crap this is not just like the the casual ride with friends this is i'm now suddenly like a huge role in this event that's kind of taken off almost not by accident, but it just caught on in the zeitgeist of American cycling. I don't know that it was like super intentional. I think I'm fortunate in the fact that I got to grow along with it, right? Like I didn't, it didn't, I didn't walk into something that that was that, that big. It started with 34 people in a parking lot in 2006. Um, and just my role there was really as an Emporian, that's my hometown. Um, I saw an opportunity that I felt was legit to create something amazing for my hometown community of Emporia, Kansas. And um, becoming involved in that, moving the event downtown, adding different distances, like the continuation and growing of it, always felt like the event could do that until probably about 2017 or so, where I was all of a sudden looking at this going, holy shit, this thing's huge. And like literally like lifting my head up and looking around, driving down or riding my bike down Commercial Street the like Wednesday before the race and all of these sprinter vans and industry vehicles were all over Emporia. And I was just like, oh, oh, we did. We did it. And um, it's just gotten um, better when we when we um, went with Lifetime in 2018. That was a very intentional purpose an intentional decision. Um, and I don't think that it's, it's anything that I've regretted at all. I mean, the team that we have with, with, to put the event on now is just like, it's, it's a world-class stage and we still manage to maintain a grassroots feel. Um, because I do think that the community is so important and Lifetime understands that. But in, in like looking at it, um, I always have those moments since 2018 of standing at the start line, looking around, just being like, like take a breath and, and wow. Um, and I'm really, I mean, I'm super, super grateful. I mean, how cool is that? That Emporia, Kansas with 26,000 people that is a total flyover state now has the world's biggest gravel event in the world. You hang on. 
Okay. Oh, wait, actually, I'll ask a question into the mic. Um, so working at USA Triathlon, okay, amazing answer, Christy. Sorry, I'm like jumping ahead of myself here. <laughs> so, so working at USAT, um, you know, obviously now we have, we have a woman CEO, which is amazing, but it's still, I imagine, a pretty male-centered organization, or at least historically has been. Uh, and you're, you're in a field that... Like, let's be honest, like a lot of the, the older white guys are kind of just scoffing at or like paying lip service to. Um, how, do you, how do you take space in a room? Yeah, it's something I've had to learn over time. Um, also, being 5'3", I feel like I naturally don't take up a lot of space. So I have to practice having like really solid. I have I call it in our office tall girl energy. Like I tell everyone we have to have our tall girl energy today. Like I am not using a stool. I will get something off the top shelf by myself. Um, <laughs> so it is, it's sometimes really hard, especially like naturally I am a smiley and agreeable person. I'm very Southern, like manners matter. Um, but when I started really diving into the DEI space, like I learned really quickly that things aren't going to happen unless I like push for them. And a lot of people don't want change to happen because it's terrifying, especially those who haven't historically been marginalized or discriminated against or experienced bias. Um, so whenever I go into meetings and it, it still happens, I mean, I've been at the organization for a long time and I like to think I have a very solid re like relationship and reputation with our staff. But sometimes there are things that are hard to implement. Like if we're adding like ADA stuff, well, first, that's the law. We have to we have to have it. So that's a great argument. But when you go into these conversations, like it's not about me, so I can feel uncomfortable. It's about the people that we're trying to create access for. So I always think of the other people, um, less about myself. Like if I am, you know, I rub someone the wrong way, that's fine. But if it gets someone the ability to race, like adding an adaptive category or creating like accessible parking so someone's grandma who has limited mobility can come watch them do their first triathlon that's way more important than like me and one of my like work friends having a bad day together so it's always about other people I mean DNI it's it's not about us it's about you know growing and bringing accessibility for others um typically I have to have a lot of those like after meeting conversations like I'm sorry that you know well first we're not saying we're sorry which <laughs> <laughs> very hard still um but like if you rub someone the wrong way like talk it out like they may not understand why it's in, as important as it is like imagine if your mom couldn't come see you do your first triathlon how would you feel like that's what we're trying to solve here or like how would you feel if you didn't have an adaptive category that you could race in if you needed an adaptive category to race in so like helping others kind of develop that empathy it's very hard. Um, not everyone has like empathy skills that they've developed over the years, but helping like create views around things for other people is, is it's hard, but helpful. Loving tall girl energy. As you said yeah. that, I was like, let me just fix my posture here a little bit. <laughs> Sit up nice and straight and tall. <laughs> no, I, I often say my, my dachshund is like very representative of me because like he's a very tiny boy, but he thinks he's a very yeah. tall boy. So that's how I try to like approach any, any of my interactions. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, and Shauna, actually, you mentioned starting in academia. I would love to hear you talk about going from academia into this more 
business, like even just, uh, you know, one of the questions I kind of wrote down for you was even getting that like LLC, uh, finally being like, okay, this is officially a business. This isn't just like a, a side thing. This isn't just like consulting. This is my business. Um, how did you navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I heard someone mention this uh when it comes to doing the side hustle and building the LLC and so forth, that um, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. And that's literally how it kind of worked out for me um, where I uh, was in academia for 25 years. And I did have an LLC for what, about five or six years before it no longer was a side hustle. So leaning into what you were saying before around, Oh, this isn't just, Oh, this is a little something I do on the side, but this is something that I do full time. I maintain my family. I maintain my extended family through this work. And so, yes, it was a very long time. And so what was really interesting for me, I started in higher education and it's very similar to starting as kind of like that intern situation going on. Right. Um, so I was uh, hired as an associate director of a multicultural center and the director who I was very excited to work under. She had gone through my exact same doctoral program at uh, George Washington um, in D.C. And so I was really excited about working uh, with her uh, directly reporting to her. I was hired while she was on FMLA and she didn't come back. And three weeks later, hi, Shauna, you're the director of the James Farmer Multicultural Center. I'm like, say what now? Okay. All I know is about being black and being a woman. I don't know anything else about any of the umbrella, you know, ADA, or I don't know any of these other identity groups that I need to really become familiar with. So that's how things kind of started. And then finished up my doctorate, you know, climbed the whole tenure ladder process and so forth. And this is when the imposter syndrome gets real because during the pandemic, I had the fortunate ability to, hello, pick my kids up from school, drop them off at school, actually show up on time to youth sports at night um, because I wasn't doing a 50 plus mile commute one way anymore. That commute was a beast, even in the face of loving my job, loving my coworkers, loving the university that I worked at. I was making the ideal salary that I wanted to make in a chief diversity officer position. And it still wasn't what I wanted. It, and it wasn't even that I didn't want it. It was just that, all right, time's up, time's up. I'm, I'm tired of this. Um, and I remember uh, the week before I had had a speaking engagement and it was like a, a four figure speaking engagement. And then the very next day I was sitting in a committee meeting on campus and we had 10 faculty members sitting around a table arguing as to whether uh, Professor Megan was going to get an extra 500 bucks to do her research. And so my entrepreneur brain was going wild because I'm thinking, damn it, I'll write the damn check right now because I'm tired of talking about this shit. Um, because it was just, it was exhausting. It was like splitting hairs. The amount of money we spent based on the people who were working at the university, sitting around that table to even have that argument was like 10 grand to have the argument for 30 minutes over $500, right? Like due to the math was not mathing, okay? And so that was one of those moments where I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm really, really done. Um, and so the only thing that was holding me back, though, is that good old state of Maryland does a really good job retaining people because they provide tuition remission for your dependents. Yeah. 
So Shauna would be a fool to walk away and not have her two sons, undergraduate and graduate degrees paid for in full. Right. So I'm thinking, all right, I got to hang in here until uh, I'm for sure at the, uh, the time that I needed for tenure. And so I, I had to be tall. I had to be tall. Okay? So I had to be tall. I decided to be tall and march down to human resources and just ask, you know, where am I on the time clock as far as the tuition remission for my sons? She flips over something on the screen and taps some keys or whatever. And she says, oh, you, you were done 12 months ago. <laughs> You're done 12 months ago, right? I said, oh, now I, I'm like elated, but I'm trying to keep my poker face going on. And I'm like, really? She said, yeah, you're done 12 months ago, so you're good. I'm like, oh. So I drove home that day, and yeah, it, it was still trepidation, right? Because it, I always call it like jumping out of that building. And you remember back in the olden days where they had that trampoline where some, you're hoping somebody's down there to catch you, but you're not quite sure, but you still need to jump out of this building. I wrote the resignation letter, turned it into my beloved boss, who I still text almost every day. Um, and all my tenured colleagues were like, you're a damn fool. Like they're looking at you like you're an idiot right now for leaving. Like, why would you leave? People work their whole lives to be tenured faculty members. And I'm like, bye. <laughs> I'm at the house. I can Zoom with you later. I'm gone. Bye. Um, and, but, but the math literally was not mathing for me. And so in the first quarter that I left my faculty position, I had already made more than I would make in my senior leadership position in a year because education scale is just not the same as other industries. And so scary, 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 but yeah, that, that's how it happened. <laughs> oh, so good. It's funny. Two things you brought up there. The first is the, the just asking. Uh, I think uh, raise your hand if you're really bad at just like asking for more, asking for clarification, uh, <laughs> asking to see the contract, any of that stuff. Um, I've, I've actually recently realized, yeah, as it turns out, if you just say like, uh, could I make a little more money on that? Most of the time they actually say yes. Like it's a very weird thing that it was very shocking to me. Um, but yeah, it turns out if you just ask, like the worst case scenario is they say no. Um, but I think if you struggle with imposter syndrome, you're terrified of getting that no. So we don't ask because we don't want to hear the no, because the no is going to like, confirm all of those suspicions that I'm not worth the more money. So I just won't ask for the more money and just never find out, um, which is very silly. And I think how we end up like making a lot less money. Um, and yeah, when you were saying uh, everyone at the university thought you were like a little nuts for, for leaving. Mm -hmm. I remember having an editor in a magazine, like they'd offered me a job and the pay was not great, but it was like a full-time job. And at the time, luckily, I had uh, I had just started uh, dating my now husband uh, and he lived in Canada. So I was like, uh, you know, like, sorry, like, I, th I think this is going somewhere. So like, I, I can't see myself like taking this job and working in this office. And they were like, that is the like, you're going to really regret that. And I was like, ah, you know, I don't think I am. Um, and, you know, yes, it worked out. We've been married for a few years. But that also like forced me to be like, OK, I need to actually be pretty serious about this whole freelancing thing if I'm, you know, gonna make as much as I would have at the the magazine and I think now I make 
like four or five times what I would have made if I had stayed at that magazine. Um, also, the magazine folded like a year later, so it didn't really matter anyway. I would have been out of a job regardless. <laughs> um, Okay, Sarah, on to you. What I wanted to ask you about is going from athlete to entrepreneur. Uh, that had to be a lot of feelings that sort of came up um, as, as suddenly, you know, you're, you're not just racing Iron Man. Suddenly now you're, you're the voice of women in Iron Man and you're like, oh, I'm going to start a media empire. No big deal. Um, so uh, so how, how was that transition? <laughs> Um, <laughs> can I, can I first, sorry, I wanted to say, and you mentioned the thing about saying sorry, I just said sorry, and I'm saying it in my Canadian accent, so sorry for that also, um, <laughs> but like, <laughs> whenever I hear that, like, when, like, that women tend to apologize more, sometimes my reaction to that, honestly, is like, but what if I am sorry? Like, if I'm late for a meeting, which people who work with me know I'm traditionally about three minutes late for everything, like, I am actually sorry that I wasted your time. And so part of me is, and that's like a, it's like a Canadian sorry. Like, I'm not like, um, I'm sorry that this happened to you, you know? <laughs> um, and so I think that uh, maybe men should apologize more, like, <laughs> you know, or maybe the people, the folks who don't say sorry should actually. So I think there's just, there's like a grayer area there for me. That's like, sometimes we should apologize less for sure. And sometimes it's like, no, other people should maybe apologize more. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, um, that just came up in my brain and also pushed a pause button on that very big question you just asked me. Um, you know, I think like, I, like I'm a bit of a dreamer. Um, and I'm definitely an entrepreneur. And so it was like when I came out of my triathlon career, I was 40 years old and I thought about, I actually got a job at a local college. I have a PhD in women's history. I, I got a job that I then didn't end up taking um, to teach. And partially because of what you were just talking about there, Shauna, I was like, how much money for what now? Like <laughs> this, like the math does not make sense there. Um, and then I think like I just dove like headlong into this giant goal, like without any reference points, any knowledge about like how to build a media company or how to do any of it, which I think is like partially what allowed me to do it is like I, I just didn't know. Um, and I think. I didn't really, of, of course, there would always be imposter syndrome. Like there's always negative voices that I think we all deal with. Um, and I certainly did. But I think when it became really real for me was further down the track, like two years later, when we actually were making money, like, and I had to make decisions, like I had to start employing people, we had to have employment contracts, I had to talk to lawyers, I had to know what a shareholders agreement was, I had to have advisors. And it was like, holy shit, like, how do I, you know, like, how am I going to learn all of these things? Um, and so that was, and so what I did was I just put a post on my Instagram about it, which is like a media person solution. Like, Hey, I just put a picture of myself. It was like, I find myself in this situation where I like, I have all these questions about how to run a business and I don't know who to ask, you know, and it's kind of a, I recognize like it's a privilege, it was a place of privilege to have started something where we're actually making money and I have to make those decisions. Actually, Stacy um, is, is someone who reached out. I had about, you know, three or four really important key people who reached out to me at that time um, and gave me advice. And so Stacy, like who works at Wahoo with finance and stuff, which of course I don't, I mean, I was like, I was doing accounting on like, 
pieces of paper that would eventually go into some kind of spreadsheet. You know, I had to figure that all out. Um, and so I, and I got a really good kind of response from that um, and have been like very grateful and was always very happy that I put that out there. And like ever since then, like the feeling, the feeling doesn't go away, right? Because it's not stopped. Like it's not, I haven't, you know, stopped, I haven't stopped having to step into new spaces, you know, and I actually have no idea what the hell I'm doing and then learn it. So I've just sort of got used to this like constant companion that's like, hey, <laughs> you, you don't really know what you're doing. And like, yeah, but I trust myself to learn. So that's kind of my journey. Your, your thing about the, the sorry being a bit of a gray area and every, actually your whole point there um, leads me to this other point that I had is, you know, yes, imposter syndrome, bad. We can kind of all agree on that. But what if it's actually good in some ways? Like, what if like where we're having this imposter syndrome is actually like showing us, oh, this is maybe the area where we actually do need some expert help or expert guidance or, you know, a little bit more education in that area. Um, because I mean, you know, we're talking to, we have like people starting businesses, people who are, you know, going from like 34 to, you know, thousands of people in this one thing. Um, you know, this huge role at USA Triathlon, like from, from internship, like it's not like you can just actually like snap your fingers and magically you just have all of this, uh, this information at your, just in your brain and suddenly you're good at it. So maybe there actually is a role for imposter syndrome to actually lead us to the things that we actually do need to maybe figure out and maybe like find some help with. So uh, Christy, I'm going to kick it over to you. Was there ever a point where you know, you actually found, oh, okay, I don't know this. There is an expert I can talk to. This is going to be helpful or like any kind of like further education, I guess, like as Unbound has grown. Well, I think, I mean, a hundred percent the, I'm, I guess I look at it and part of the way I deal with imposter syndrome is by the support network that is around me. Um, it's very intentional and I'm very grateful for the, the, the people and especially the women that are in my life that I can turn to and ask questions about. One of the ways like I learned to deal with imposter syndrome, and this is, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but my husband, um, whenever I'm in those modes of like, I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. He's like, he'll ask me, he plays this game with me called what if, and he'll be like, okay, what if, what if that doesn't work? What if that, okay. So then what happens? What if, what if, what if? So the point where at the final, he's like, so the worst thing that happens is like, he was using it the first time we did this. It was around when we owned a music store. Um, I, I am a serial entrepreneur as well. But anyway, um, he was like, worst case scenario, if the music store fails, we're living with your parents in their basement. I'm like, yes. He's like, and? I'm like, well, it would suck, but, but it's also worth the risk. And, and I think that's a space that, you know, I would challenge you when you're looking at a situation and you're worried about whether or not you can do it or whether or not the imposter syndrome is real is just answer that question of yourself is like, what is the worst case scenario that happens for me and boil it all the way down to where you're in your parents' basement, like just go all the way deep. And if it's, if it's not that bad, it's probably worth the risk. Um, and I just, I really do believe that the whole thing around support network, it's why I'm so grateful for what Feisty Media is doing. I'm so grateful for Catherine Taylor and our Girls Gone Gravel podcast and like 
it just keeps building community. And that's a really powerful thing. You guys being here is a really powerful thing. You should lean into each other and work through yourselves to figure out how to get through imposter syndrome in your life. Cause that's what we're here for, honestly. And Shauna, I want to kick it to you and ask about the, the academia to business. I mean, you mentioned the, like, you know, suddenly you're getting these like four figure contractor or any of that kind of stuff. How did you figure out the business side of it? What, what help did you have? Like, how did you how did you move into yes. that space? Because yes, yes. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because it's uh, education is like it feels like it's inherently anti business, you know, because it's altruistic, right? It's we want people to have knowledge and education and access to certain things, so it's almost complete opposite to business per se. Um, so again, how things just work themselves out when you put yourself out there, right? So before the pandemic. I had a really good friend of mine who's also a triathlete with me. We've known each other for years and she was, uh, she had already had her LLC, but was doing nothing with it. It was just kind of sitting there on the paper. And she and I uh, put our names on a waiting list because we had heard about this program through uh, Cornell university, which I think sky, are you in here? I know you're, uh, you're in, there. You are sky. Yes. Get, sky's in the program as well. Um, and so we had put our names on the waiting list um, well before the pandemic, of course, then the pandemic happened. And so we forgot that we were on the waiting list and just moved about our lives. And <laughs> remember, I told y'all I submitted my resignation to the university. The next day, I was sitting at home working. Um, I was looking at a few things and doing some stuff, trying to wrap up my old job so that I could leap into my new job 100%. And my friend um, who registered with me prior, she said, girl, check your email. I'm like, what? Just check your email, check your business email, girl. There's something important in there. I'm like, what are you talking about? We had gotten off the waiting list for Cornell University's Bank of America Women in Entrepreneurship Program. So the very next week after I had resigned, serendipity kind of happened where, oh, congratulations, you have 12 weeks of entrepreneurship coursework to take. You're welcome, right? Um, and it was free, which is great. Sky and I were talking about that earlier, like hallelujah, something we don't have to pay for because their goal is to have, I think it's 50,000 or 100,000 women um, educated in entrepreneurship. So please write that down. Please go put your name on the list. Um, and it's like a video game. And now uh, Lisa, Dr. Ingerfield in the back, she's also in the program as well, where it's like a video game where you have two weeks that you're taking asynchronous coursework with a hundred other people virtually you take one course for two weeks and then you unlock the next one for the next two weeks. So the first two weeks may be on communication. The next two weeks may be on branding or your ideal client, or et cetera. And so that's how I got started with kind of figuring out where to go next because academia just simply did not provide that information. Obviously, unless you were teaching in business, you would not know this information. And so that's how I kind of started figuring things out for myself, going through that program, asking a lot of questions and also connecting with a lot of other consultants because um, oftentimes I found myself in circles where there were business owners that were providing products, not necessarily services or experiences. And so that's where uh, the rubber kind of met the road with the networking and expanding out to other people that were doing similar work. So that kind of happened. Um, so I would encourage you, 
that's not the only program that's out there to educate women on business. Go find your local women's business center that's nearby. A lot of places have those uh, virtual platforms that you can log into and get information, but just know that you're not the only one that has that same question um, and seek that out because there's lots of people ready to help. And what I think is really cool is organizations like SCORE and some other folks actually have the old white men who are willing to give you the lowdown on the finance information, okay? Look, we don't have to put the scraps of paper together on the spreadsheet because I was doing the exact same thing, Sarah. Um, so given that, you know, connect with those mentors that can help you get the knowledge that you need. And so I would show up with like 20 questions and they would give me the lowdown on all of it. And I wouldn't run away with like two months of homework because I got my questions answered. So I think that's the way I would go. Yeah, I think especially... I think an area for women in particular where imposter syndrome comes up is definitely around the finances. Um, I know for me, you know, I, I'm creative. That's my thing. I write the words. I'm not so good with the math. Um, I have a spreadsheet. It's not a very good one. Uh, so yeah, that stuff is all just so helpful. And yeah, the number of free resources and uh, the number of workshops we have today on finance, uh, pretty awesome. So very excited about that. Um, when you said the... Uh, you left and you were like going 100% in on, on the new business. That made me think about the one, the one way imposter syndrome tends to show up really badly for me, which is procrastination. And I'm not going to give myself the title of perfectionist because I know like most people, when they talk about procrastination, like the perfectionist thing comes up, like, well, I'm a perfectionist. I'm not. I'm absolutely not. I'm like a slap it on paper and call it good. Um, but definitely when it's something you know, that I'm, I'm maybe struggling with, maybe have some imposter syndrome feelings around, suddenly I find myself just moving that thing down the to-do list uh, to the next day, to the next day. Uh, and sort of how I opened this was talking about, I write for a lot of outlets and I tend to mention them as my like primary thing that I do. I will never miss a deadline for like bicycling or for a place that I write for, but like my own deadlines, it's actually why I'm really glad the business of fitness is on the feisty uh, network because I have to make that deadline. <laughs> so that, that saves me a lot of, uh, yeah, Monday night to uh, stress as I'm trying to like record my other podcast. And like, I've left that till the last minute because that's not nearly as important as, uh, you know, everything for everyone else ever. Um, so, um, Wondering if, uh, and I didn't ask this one in the, the email where I sent you guys questions. So uh, does anyone have any, any thoughts on procrastination and where imposter syndrome uh, shows up and how we can maybe uh, move on from it? Because that's, that's where I struggle. Oh boy, it's bad when it's crickets. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try, but y'all have my back on it. Um, I think with procrastination, uh, you're right. It's like this thing that you're ready to kick down the road for whatever reason, right? So I... I found myself like literally last week, I would rather fold this laundry than respond to this email because this is going to be, I mean, you know, it's bad when you're ready to fold laundry because you don't want to answer an email. Um, and so I've tried, we've been talking about leaning into things and challenging ourselves to do differently. Um, the, the whole eat the frog approach has been helpful for me as far as trying to do the, the thing I do not want to do do it like almost immediately first thing in the morning, that type of thing. So then first of all, I can pat myself on the back for getting it done. Um, then I can put my feet up for the rest of the day. Like, ha, I really don't have to do anything else today. Um, but I, it really is, it's an ego boost to do that. Um, and nine times out of 10, when I do the thing I was procrastinating on, it actually ended up being easier than I thought it was going to be. So, you know, I thought, oh, this is going to take like 10 steps and it took like two. 
thank you. Um, and so that's what I've been trying to do so far. Um, but I cannot say that I am not a procrastinator. I certainly am. And I work within my energy. I mean, the pandemic has gotten my sleep pattern all messed up. And so there's days where I might work 14 hours straight. And then the next day I'm on the couch with Cheetos watching Netflix. And I'm okay with that because I'm just following my energy and still getting things done, just not in a traditional way. So that's kind of how I work things through. I think, and you mentioned earlier, Molly, I really liked, I'd like to pull it together thematically, like whether imposter syndrome can be a good thing, right? And the same, I think that would, my, my answer would be the same to that, which would be yes. And like, can procrastination be a good thing? It can be, all those things can be if we're willing to learn the lessons, right? So like, why, like, wh why am I experiencing imposter syndrome? Why do I think that I can't do the thing that I, that like, that's in front of me and like actually unpacking that and going, what do I need to do to convince myself that I can do it? Like, so do I need to talk to a mentor? Do I need to Google something? Do I need to go out and, and take a program for several months, you know? Um, and I think the same thing with procrastination, like the, I always try to think about like, why am I procrastinating on that task? You know, I used to, some months I'm like scared to look at the financials. Like I go through, like my accountant just like draws a line under it and then I get sent it on a certain day. And I, I recognize it some months I'm like, I don't want to look, I don't want to do it. Right. And that's like, just, it's kind of an easy example, but it's like, oh, well, I know why I don't want to look because I'm scared of what's going on. Um, and so, and then like facing that and then it's like, does something need to change? Why would I be scared? Um, something like that. So, and I think, for, and for me too, with the procrastination thing, I actually do the opposite. I don't know if anyone else does this. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said it out loud, but sometimes I leave like the fun jobs to last because I'm like, I want to get all the bad jobs done, but like somehow I'm not worthy of doing these fun jobs. Like I love writing. I love producing content too. I love doing video. I love doing, and I will leave those things <laughs> as Carrie will know. I will leave like the podcast production, which is like my favorite job to the last minute. And then I'm frustrating her because she's like, why hasn't Sarah sent her files yet? You know, and I'm just repeating this pattern of like, well, I leave it to the last because it's fun. And I'm doing the jobs that I don't feel as are as fun first, um, which sounds like it could be good, but actually like you actually are worthy of the fun jobs too. There's uncomfortable tasks like checking the, the bank balance or like the financials. Uh, it's funny because I find even though I will procrastinate on them for like three days, like I'm supposed to do that every Monday. That's on my to-do list every single Monday. And every Monday I will push it off till Tuesday. But every Monday it spends the entire day just sitting right here, just like, little voice in my head that's like, hey, you should probably log on and just, just load Mint. Just, just check it. It's fine. Yeah, um, right. And it's always fine. I think that's the, the even funnier thing is like very rarely is, like you say, the task actually as hard or as like stressful as we think it is. And for me, the other time that comes up is when I'm about to, like when one of the tasks is asking someone for something where that no might be the answer. Um, and again, I think it's just because I'm terrified that if I put the ask out into the world and I like the, the no could happen, even though like the no leaves you at the exact same place that you were, like nothing will change if you get a no, like that's fine. You're, you're exactly where you are right this second. But if you get the yes, that could be the game changer. Um, but for some reason, like sending that email is just the, the hardest one. So I think I'm going to have to get back to the eat the frog approach and do that, do that first thing in the morning. Um, Megan, I actually wanted to come back to you because I didn't get to the going from intern to uh, chief diversity officer here. Uh, you know, that 
that trajectory obviously comes with a lot of learning experiences and working with, with mentors and talking to other people and stuff. So how have you navigated the like using imposter syndrome to like actually get there? Um, for sure. So I'm actually right now just the senior manager, but someday I will be a chief of diversity and inclusion somewhere. If it's yeah. USA triathlon somewhere else. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of been a really interesting road. I was telling a few people yesterday, like I was an intern and then I worked in finance for six months without any finance experience. Great. I mean, great life experience. Like I am really good at budgeting and I don't get stressed out this time of year when our office is doing budgeting. So like really grateful I got to do that. Um, but when I first started, I was like in this role that was kind of made up, like you do what, like special projects and programs. That's kind of like a scary place to be. Cause like, you're really just doing what other people don't want to do. Um, but I had always known that like my passion lied in human rights and sport and creating opportunities for people to be welcome and feel like they belong in a sport community. And that was something I didn't get when I was in golf. And then when I came into triathlon, I'm like, well, this is the perfect place for this where people can feel like there's potential here. Um, so I kind of had to like, you know, I got diversity inclusion shot down a few times very long time ago the organization was very different um so I had to start sneaking it into play into things like I was very sneaky I was like an undercover diversity and inclusion advocate like <laughs> I got like funding for a youth program and I was like well I'm gonna put this somewhere where like we don't have athletes and we're gonna hit demographics that we're not currently hitting like oh no there are no options anywhere else except for this one place so it was kind of like you you have have to identify like I was so lucky I knew what my passion was and I knew what my purpose was going to be in my career um but it was kind of hard at first like I'm gonna be very sneaky about this and then I think I actually I saw Tim Yacht in the elevator this morning for those of you who know Tim he's our chief diverse or he's our chief sport development officer I was talking to him about this this morning one of the first programs where I was like sneaking in diversity and inclusion got nominated for a diversity and inclusion award when it wasn't actually a diversity and inclusion program so it kind of was like if you just like keep trying and and eventually you'll have people who are going to advocate for for what you want to do like we had rocky come in and he was immediately like why are you a special projects and programs person you should focus on diversity and inclusion and i'm like yeah i totally should i mean my job won't change at all but my title will and it'll make it a little bit easier to get things done and then now with like with vic we're i'm i'm so excited and i feel so lucky to have someone who is also very passionate about women in sport um, diversity and inclusion, creating a space where everyone can feel like they can be who they truly are. Um, so once I was able to find advocates who were like had the same like goals and they believed in what I was trying to push for, made it a lot easier. I mean, super lucky that we've had like a shift in leadership where leaders are like, yeah, this is important. I mean, we always say like it's if it, it feels good to do it. Everyone's like, oh, it's a feel good. It's a feel good like career to have but actually it's like really good business like if you're missing populations of people you're not going to be able to have sustainable growth so finding leaders who like believe in that as well has been really helpful um and like even having Vic I told her when she the day that they announced that she was interim CEO like she had already had an incredible impact on my life professionally up to that point as the chief of staff I remember one time she we were in a meeting and she's like I just, I think you can do more. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. I can do so much more and I can do hard things and I can do more hard things. And just because it's hard doesn't mean I should put it off or not do it. So having someone who can just like tell you, you know, 
yeah, I, you're capable and you're able to keep going is like been very valuable. Does, does golf know that you're available? Because I swear to God, like they need you. I mean, we do too, but I'm like, <laughs> I, have a, I have a funny story. I was at a diversity and inclusion conference and the PGA was there and their people and culture officer was like, we are making an organic natural shift to be more inclusive to women. And I walked up to them in the elevator and I was like, tell me what you're doing. And they're like, what's well, just natural and organic. And I'm like, so it's nothing. So I mean, this, this is live. Like, oh. <laughs> but I, I love triathlon. I've done one triathlon so I am a triathlete sometimes I used to have imposter syndrome about being a triathlete but like it is an incredible sport and I love the community like I can't imagine being at another sport I've gotten to work with other NGBs and like the community here like wants inclusion and they want to grow and they want to be a place where they can meet people who are not like them which is awesome also we're we're all athletes let's just put that out there let's get right over that imposter syndrome uh, complex 100% um, okay so this this next question i'm going to have all of you answer i'm super curious about where each of you is going to go with this the concept of fake it till you make it is a very popular one when we're talking about imposter syndrome. That's kind of one of like the common refrains. Um, and I have such mixed feelings on it because on one hand, I'm like, yeah, I should just like strut into these. I should have played a walk-up song when I came on stage. Like, you know, all of these things. Like, But I also then I'm like, but if I'm, if I'm kind of trying to put on this persona, there's going to be a point where I'm talking to someone and I'm not going to be able to, to keep that up anymore. Uh, that seems exhausting. And uh, that doesn't seem like the way to actually like make my life function in the long term. Um, and maybe, maybe who I am, like the awkward person who's like shaking at the beginning of this, I've like since kind of like gotten a pretty steady hand here, but uh, <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Uh, maybe, maybe that is like the, the better person versus someone who's going to come in with like that, that bravado of, of faking it. But I don't know. Cause I think then when we are walking into, walking into a room of, of, you know, you amazing women, I'm, I'm fine being like, yeah, I'm shaking here. But if I'm walking into, you know, a boardroom, full of old white guys, um, that is maybe a situation where I need to uh, put on my, my tall girl energy and like kind of own the place even when I'm actually like shaking in my boots. So yeah, I feel like, I feel like I've got very mixed feelings on, on fake it till you make it. So Sarah, I'm sorry, but I'm going to start with you. Yeah. It, I, it's a really gray thing, right? Like I think for most of us in certain situations, like fake it till you make it will actually empower us but there are people who are willing to like fake things to the nth degree like we all know th those kind of people you're like wait tone it down a little bit you know and I and so I think there is that balance between um it's like I I was thinking I was actually I was talking to Lisa about this this morning about how um imposter syndrome syndrome or kind of a lack of confidence actually intersects with like my journey like all the way through and in terms of how I hired people, right? Because in order to um, hire the right people, you actually have to go, where do I need to hire the most? Like, what is my weakness? What is the thing in my business that I'm not doing well on? And how do I find that person? Um, and sometimes for me, I've been lucky too that I, I haven't even, actually that person has come to me, right? So like not only, like for my ego, like not only am I, 
you know, sometimes I have made good hiring decisions. And sometimes like that person, like Catherine has like walked right in the door to me and said, Hey, these are my skills. And I think you could use them. <laughs> like you are right about that, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I don't know where I was going with that, but like, I definitely think that like there's two sides, like, and I, if I like had faked it <laughs> sometimes it's like, no, actually like that, that ego check piece is like, if your ego is still intact and you're feeling good and confident about yourself, there's no reason why you can't say, actually, I don't know how to do that. Like, how do I learn? Right. So yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's great. I'm a late bloomer when it comes to being an athlete, since you mentioned that we're all athletes, right? Um, very late bloomer. I learned how to swim when I was 35 and extremely pregnant with my young son, Kendrick, um, before doing all of my racing and so forth, you know, multiple 70.3s, yada, 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 on and on. Okay, fine. But what's interesting is that the, the very same friend that I got into the Cornell program with she, she was training for her first 70.3 and she asked me, well, Shauna, how do you know that you're ready? And I said, you fool, you don't know that you're ready. Okay. You race and you keep running till you see the carpet. That's what you do. Right. And so, and you fake it every stroke, every pedal, ev all of it, fake all of it. Right. And, and all I meant by that was, continuously stepping outside of your comfort zone towards whatever the goal is. And so I feel like you can somewhat fake it confidently. And what I mean by that is I'm confident in what I don't know. I'm confident that somebody else has done this either before and or better than I have before. So I'm very confident asking them how they did it. Um, and so given that I'm very confident in saying I'm here I want to, you know, run this level of business and have this level of impact. No, I don't have all the answers, but I'm sure that someone in this room does. And I am very okay with that. And so that to me is just kind of the parallel of all of those races where I'm like, no, I don't know if I'm going to finish until I do. How about that? I don't know if I'm going to become a multi-million dollar business until it happens. And so with that, I think um, sometimes the challenge going, Sarah, I love your point, um, you know, if you're faking it to the point that you're repelling the information and the help that you need to get to your finish line, that's when, to me, it's toxic. You know, it's like, oh, well, I know everything. Okay, fine then. Well, then Catherine, she's not going to approach you because you already, quote unquote, know everything, right? And so I think the, the humility that comes with the, I don't know anything about finance or whatever area is great because it just becomes a magnet for the people that you need and the information that you need to make it happen. I literally just wrote down, keep running till you see the carpet. I want to put that in neon. I want that to be a sign in my, so good, so good. Um, when you said that, that reminded me of, uh, I was doing a race this year and so it was my, my first hundred miler and you know, you're like, okay, this is a big deal. And then I'm in the bathroom race day morning and like having my, you know, freak out and like nervous, like get in the bathroom line again and again and again. Um, and the women in front of me are talking about a 200 miler that they're doing. And I'm like, damn it. Like there's always going to be somebody who's like doing like the more. And then I got out and I, I said to my husband, I'm like, Oh God, these women are talking about a 200 mile. They're going to be so much better than me. I'm so stressed. And he's just like, just get to the front and just go, just stop, stop thinking about it. Too. So I, I did my tall girl energy actually, partially because he tightened my hydration pack and it sort of pulled my shoulders back a little bit. And I was like, Oh, okay. This works. <laughs> Turned out it, it went just fine. Um, but yeah, it, it was such a, an interesting thing of just realizing like 
almost no matter what giant thing that I'm doing, there's always going to be someone who's like the step ahead or the hundred miles ahead, as it were. Um, and that's that's okay. And I can still also be doing like really well in in the thing that I'm doing. Um, instead of like, it was very tempting to turn over like, yes, I'm totally signing up for a 200 miler after that. I'm absolutely not signing up for a 200 miler. Absolutely not happening. Nope. Nope. Yeah. I think about this a lot. I feel like I, I faked it a lot early on, like trying to like sneak DNI into things. Um, but what I've realized is like, you have to be really prepared to fake it. Like you want to stay credible that's so important. So if you're faking something, you have to have, you have to be able to back it up. Like you may not be at the level of an organization to be like, I'm making the overarching decision on this, but you have to be able to like really advocate for yourself and for the decision that you want to make. Um, so that's like one point, another point, and this is, I'm Southern and my mother is Southern and she's always like, you have to dress the part you want to have. So like, <laughs> again, going back to the tall girl energy, any day I have, and this is, totally per everyone has a different way of like creating this feeling for themselves but any day that I know I'm gonna have a really hard meeting I always wear heels like I want to be as tall as I can be I want to feel very confident it's not for everyone everyone's different I work in a sport organization everyone's wearing leggings and I have like heels and a dress on um and so that has helped me every I mean again everyone's different it's kind of morphed now <laughs> into this thing where if we have warehouse day I wear heels so now Megan can't go to the warehouse um so it serves a different purpose <laughs> but like really creating so finding the thing that makes you feel confident and ready to take on the challenge that you're gonna face that you maybe are not super ready for yet um so looking the part feeling the part being prepared I've been faking it till I could make it since I was 20 years old. So yeah, do it. <laughs> I mean, I think there, the whole concept, like what everybody's talking about is totally true. But I think about like the very first moment I had where I knew I was faking it, walking in, I worked for the YMCA of San Francisco, Camp Jones Gulch, and I was starting a daycare program there. Um, and I was 22 years old and my boss wanted me to go meet the board of directors for the San Francisco YMCA back in 1991, that was a room full of incredibly rich white men. And I walked in in my um, Goodwill store blazer that was some dudes that was a size 42 that had the shoulder pads. I had the really bad, you know, early 90s hair. And I was like, whew, I just have to, I just have to convince them that I'm the shit. And like that, from that moment on, it was just like, there was an empowering moment for me where I realized like, that's a lot of it, right? It's just walking in with the confidence. And then again, I'm always going to go back to your support network, knowing who to lean into when, when you can't fake it anymore and you need help making it. Okay. Last question for, for the group here is just like, if you had to pick one or two, just like tangible ways that people can kind of work their way through, whether it's just like that negative self-talk voice, whether it's, you know, full-on imposter syndrome, like what's the best modality that, that works for, for you? Okay, I've been waiting for this one. Um, so, so when uh, I put that, the, when I put it on my Instagram that I was looking for help with my business and advice, I had a number of like advisors come kind of out of the woodwork um and a couple of them uh have been like extremely successful in exactly what I'm trying to do um and that's kind of when I realized the value of 
those people in my life, because if someone else told me like someone, oh, yeah, Sarah, you're, you know, you're fully equipped to build a media company. Like, I don't think I believe them any more than I believe myself. Right. You know, but someone who has has the life experience, who is a serial entrepreneur, who is extremely successful, who knows exactly the journey and my journey, like I believe that person, right? And having those people in your life, like who can say, like who you know that you believe them, who can say, like, this is, these are the qualities you have that are, that make you the right person for this job. Like, oh, that has just been so, like, that has been so, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to tell this story without crying because that has been just so impactful for me. Um, and I think, I, I mean, I have trouble believing people in general so just having that person who I'm like yeah you really are like you really you really know this industry you know and and you know the qualities that are needed so that's been my number one yeah I would say echoing what you've mentioned about networking the quickest way to feed your imposter syndrome is to stay isolated because you're sitting there with your own ideas about yourself, many of which are flawed um, around, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm not the right person. It's not the right time. Fill in the blank on every reason why something can't work or something can't happen. As soon as you step out of that and you walk into a room and you're like, I don't know how to do X, Y, Z. Welcome. There's a hundred of us here that don't know how to do it. Welcome. Um, And so, you know, that was the quickest way for me to kind of, snatch myself out of imposter syndrome is that, you know, you look around and you think, oh, everyone else has it together except me. Right. And once you get there, you're like, no, we are all hot messes walking around trying to figure it out. Let's figure it out together um, in a way that doesn't isolate people to the point that they freeze and we end up not doing anything. Right. Because my my biggest fear when it comes to imposter syndrome is that this panel or any other panel that we put together that have done some amazing work. What if they, what if it never happened? Like what if none of us decided, you know what? I'm not going to believe imposter syndrome. I'm not going to feed into it. That's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. What if this never happened? Then we wouldn't have had all of these programs that are going on that are benefiting other people. And so what's, What's more scary for me is if we all don't do anything and let imposter syndrome keep us there. That's big. That's a bigger fear for me than imposter syndrome itself. Yes, absolutely. And I think it, it has been hard in the past couple of years, especially, you know, with the pandemic yes. to not be able to be in a room like this with like minded women. Um, I know for me at the beginning, you know, early 2020, I'm sure all of you are like, you're doing like the group zooms and like wine night with your friends where you're like connecting and making plans and all these ideas bouncing around and stuff. And the energy was great. And then like six months later, we're all just like huddled on our couches, still drinking the wine, but like by ourselves. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's awesome to see like really like right here you know your table right now this could be your group that you you know pop on zoom with every month and you know share where you're at with with the journey and like kind of talk through oh these are the hard things i'm dealing with and likely someone else in the group is too so this is such an awesome opportunity to if you don't have that network that group like look around you here it is I would say the thing that's been like most helpful for me, I go to therapy every week. Like I have a therapist that we focus a lot on imposter syndrome. Um, I mean, stuff from like my golf career creeps back in every now and then. So it's something that I've been working through for years and I will keep working through probably for years to come. But like having someone who 
knows like the ins and outs of things that I wouldn't normally talk about in a professional setting with my professional network has been incredibly helpful. Um, and then finding mentors, like I love mentors. I feel like I have five right now and they, some of them know it and some of them don't know it. So it's like, <laughs> um, I feel like I'm doing a lot of secret things now that I'm saying it all out loud. Uh, <laughs> Um, but just like finding those people that are like out there doing it and that are positive influences has been really helpful. I honestly think mine just goes back to what I mentioned earlier on the game of what if like that's that I think is key is just play that game with yourself and boil it all the way down. So I love that. And I think writing that one out is super, super helpful because it really makes you realize how ridiculous you're being if you actually put it on paper for sure. Um, and speaking of putting thoughts to paper, so everyone has these lovely worksheets. That's right. We're giving you homework. Uh, so we have a few minutes left. So let's maybe take 10 minutes, I think. And uh, whether you want to do this worksheet, um, if you're watching online, uh, pause and maybe just journal a couple ways that imposter syndrome shows up in your life. And, you know, maybe the, the ways, maybe if any of these tips sort of stood out to you, write them down. But also in the next 10 minutes, I want you to, at the table with everyone, reintroduce yourself and really lean into that, uh, that identity that you want to have this weekend or for the, for the rest of your life, ideally. Uh, let, let's do that. So, so no, no, well, in real life, I do this. No, this is real life. What are we doing? <laughs> so, all right, we'll, we'll do that. We'll break for 10 minutes and then we'll have Catherine come back with sort of some uh, announcements and we'll, we'll get going on with your day. But I will wrap this up here. So thank you so much to my four amazing panelists. Let's give them a big round of applause. Uh, thank you to everyone who tuned in on the live feed. We appreciate you. We love you. Uh, and yes, please, everyone, uh, subscribe and uh, rate and review the Business of Fitness podcast, which is now on its own feed on Vice Media. All right. Thank you so much, guys. All right. I hope that was just so much fantastic food for thought. I know my head was absolutely spinning after it. I had to sit down with a notebook and very quickly try to write down all of the biggest points that I took from that whole talk. Um, I loved Christy's point about asking yourself, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, I think that fear setting technique really helps just kind of realize that your imposter syndrome is really stopping you from doing these pretty basic things that don't have as much consequence as you think. Like the worst thing that's going to happen is it's not going to work and you're going to be back at square one. But if you never try, you're never going to know if it worked or not. Uh, point number two came from Dr. Shauna Payne Gold, which was if the math isn't mathing, uh, it might be time to get out. And I think just that's a really good reflection for all of us to do every so often, just kind of pausing, looking at where we're at, just being like, what is working? What's not working? And if things are just not adding up, uh, it might be time to make that change, even if that change seems scary. But really, like when you think about what's What's scarier is staying in that position where, as Shauna put it, the math was not mathing. Uh, I've definitely been in that situation with jobs that were definitely underpaying me in the past. And, you know, it is scary to say I'm leaving this to do something better for myself even before knowing what that better is. Um, but it's obviously super important. Um, I loved our talk about faking it till you make it uh, and just sort of the variety of responses and kind of how we're all thinking about maybe using it in some places and not in others. I thought that was super important. And just anytime you are thinking about faking it till you make it doing so with absolute honesty and integrity. 
And of course, uh, every, what everyone actually loved, uh, I'm recording this outro here on Monday, so at the end of the conference. And it was funny on Sunday afternoon when we were talking through like what the big takeaways from the conference were. A lot of people mentioned tall girl energy, Megan's tip for walking into a room when you're a little nervous, a little unsure, uh, just channeling that tall girl energy. Uh, as someone who's very short, you know I'm going to be trying that. I've noticed my posture's gotten better since that talk, so uh, it's definitely working. All right. I hope you love this episode. And don't forget, we are now on our new feed. So if you haven't already, make sure you're hitting that subscribe or follow button. And please, please, please do me a huge favor. Rate and review the show. Let me know what you love. Let me know what you want to hear more of. You can find us on Instagram at business.of.fitness. I'm at Molly J. Herford. And of course, check out feisty underscore media for tons more from other amazing ladies in the business of fitness. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Okay, here's the deal. You want to take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your Inside Tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient and then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today.